Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you this morning. How are we doing on this wonderful day? Doing all right? All right. Well, today, I'm so glad that you are here. My name is Dustin, and I get to be one of the pastors around here. And I'm going to share with us a little bit this morning. It is the last weekend of spring break. So I know several of you, I mean, it was 14 degrees this morning. So, of course, it's spring break. There, there were, if you're watching online, if you're out of town, I just want to tell you how glad that we are that you are joining in as we worship God together, as we open the word. So as, as I was thinking of spring break, I was reminded of some of my own memories of spring break. Something that began this last week and in my world ended last night uh, is the NCAA basketball tournament. When I was in college at, at the University of Kansas, I was in the basketball band. And starting in the Big 12 tournament, we would travel wherever the team traveled. As long as they kept winning, we would travel. And I'll tell you, we got free vacations out of this. If you worked it right, you could make some money off of the meal stipend. Uh, we got all these free vacations and we would sit courtside for all the games. It was really an amazing deal. But I will tell you, something about the NCAA tournament makes you a little crazy. You might do something like bleach the top of your hair and dye it blue. <laughs> the, now, the, Kelly, is that, that's a wig. I was fully committed. That's like, I had hair 21 years ago. It was amazing. I miss it. I miss it a lot. But it makes you a little crazy. You can get that off the screen. Uh, you can, it makes you a little crazy. The passion in that room, in the arena, is, is amazing. Partially because you have multiple fan bases. Normally, you're just at a home game and everybody's all on the same team. You have multiple fan bases and we start hollering and then the others start going. The passion is just off the charts. It's amazing watching on TV, but something about being in that room. And as I was thinking about this idea of passion and the passion that, that we see on TV as we watch these games, I was reminded that there is an older definition of passion that we don't really use much anymore. And that definition means to suffer or to endure. You may know about an enduring passion. If you're a Royals fan, you know all about enduring a lot. But we want our passions to have an enduring quality, right? We want those passions that we have to, to kind of keep going, but, but so often those passions tend to wane over time. Maybe you had a hobby that became part of your job and slowly that job just sucked the joy out of that hobby. But sometimes just time starts to make things wane. But what about those passions, those things that we don't want to, to, to have wane in our lives? Well, if we're honest, a lot of times those start to kind of ebb and flow as time goes on. I don't watch as much basketball as I once did. There's just a lot of other things in life right now. But sometimes I wonder if over time, it's a little bit like something else that changes over time. Anybody else? You walk into a room every now and then, maybe it's your house or at work, and you walk in and you stop. Why am I here? Why did I come in here? Yes, what did I come in here for? Now, that's not an age thing. I'm just going to tell you. Yes, it picked up after 40, but I've been doing this for the most of my life, and I've watched my kids do it too, right? You walk into a room, and you go, oh, what was I here for? That's the way I think our passions work sometimes. We forget our why. We forget why we are passionate about the things we're passionate about. We may even walk into this room and go, why, why are we doing what we do? Why are we here? What is the point? Today, we're going to talk about passion in praise and in worship. 
And I can hear the arguments already. You are the worship pastor. Of course, you're passionate for praise and worship. Otherwise, you wouldn't be our worship pastor. True. But I was hopefully passionate about it before I was in this position. Well, but you love singing. Maybe not as much as you think I do. Uh, But yeah, the scripture talks about singing a lot. 400 times plus in, in the Bible, it talks about singing. 50 times it says to sing. But is that all praise and worship is? Is that really all it is? And and if so, okay, big deal. So today as we move on, I want us to first define praise and worship. And then we'll move from there into the scripture and see if we can't find uh, maybe some reasons why or ways to fuel and refuel our passion in praise and in worship. All right? So the first one I want to define. I want to define praise. Praise is an expression, there we go, an expression of admiration or gratitude for who God is and what he's done. Praise is an expression of admiration or gratitude for who God is and what he has done. Praise looks a lot like this. God, I praise you. You are so good. You have been so good to me. You're the God who created all that there is. You put the stars in the sky and yet you know my name. Thank you, God, for the way you have blessed me for my family. That's an example of praise. There are lots of words in the Bible, in the original language. The Bible was not written in English. In the original Hebrew and Greek, there are many different words that we get our single word praise from. Some of those words mean to clap, to shout, to sing, to dance. Sorry, old school Nazarenes. Uh, to, to lift your hands, to bow down, to play an instrument. All of these different things are are words for praise in Scripture. Yet there is not one word, not one word for praise in Scripture that means quiet in your heart and just me and God. Not one word. Praise is an expression. It's an expression of admiration and gratitude. Now, praise is important. Sometimes we skip over praise. We talk about worship a lot. Well, worship this and worship that. And we forget that praise is important. If you look in scripture, it says that that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Praise is a weapon in spiritual battle. Praise positions us for the blessings of God. Praise confuses the enemy. Praise is powerful. But is praise the same thing as worship? I would tell you that praise is a form of worship, but worship is a bigger picture. Praise is a part of worship, but worship isn't just praise. Well, what is worship? I think the most simple definition I've ever come across is from Pastor Robert Morris. He says, worship is love expressed. We can use a lot of words to define worship, but I love this definition that worship is love expressed. In the Greek, in the New Testament, the word most commonly translated as worship is proskuneo, which means to bow down and adore. To bow down and adore. Mark 12, 30, Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is, to me, this is what we are doing when we are engaging in worship. We are expressing our love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a full-bodied expression. You know love is a verb. You know this. Love is action. Love must be expressed. It's the same with worship. It must be expressed. It must come out. Notice when I gave those examples, 
neither one of them, in neither one of them was I singing. You can praise and you can worship without music. In fact, the word worship, there isn't a word for worship in the original languages that specifically means music. So why do we call it the worship team? Why do we come up and why do we say we're going to worship together? Well, we're going to worship together because the goal is that we would come and we would praise God, uh, declaring his goodness and how much we, we would uh, honor him and admire him. And then we would bow our lives, submit our lives, surrender our lives before him. Worship looks a lot like this. Lord, I worship you because you are worthy I worship you because you loved me first and because you have loved me first. God, I want to offer you my entire life. I surrender it all to you. Have your way with me, not my will. Yours be done. God, I love you. That is worship. It's an example of worship. Music helps. Music engages our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it's not required. To praise God, to worship God, should it be passionate? Absolutely. See, for at least a hundred plus years, we have had arguments within the church. Well, we don't want church to be emotionalism. We don't want to go that far to emotionalism. So a lot of the churches I grew up in, we made church really boring. Like it was all a big Bible study. And we forgot that boredom and apathy are emotions. And then we had the churches that were like, well, we don't want to do any of that. We're going to go the other way and we're just going to be all about how we feel. And then you had still other churches that is all about serving, about all about my hands. Each one of them individually is an incomplete picture of worship. Worship is all three. Worship is, it's going to engage our hearts, our emotions, but worship is also going to engage our head and engage our hands in mission. But we tend to forget we tend to forget why we have a reason to praise, why we have a reason to worship. And this idea of forgetting is not new. So don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. This idea is not new. In fact, in the Old Testament, I can summarize the Old Testament. It's really rough, but I can summarize the Old Testament in six words. God did this, people forgot, repeat. Over and over again, God did these amazing things, people forgot. It happens. We, we do the same thing. We forget what God has done. And I also want to give a little disclaimer before we jump into the passage. I am not up here standing here scolding with my finger wagging saying, come on, people, be passionate. I feel like we're growing in this area. I really do. I feel like even in just the last month or so, we are growing in this area. And what I want to do is just throw a little bit of gasoline on that and just encourage you all the more. Hey, let's keep going because we're on a journey together. We're on a journey together. So let's keep going in that journey together. Today, we're going to look at Luke 17. And in Luke 17, we find a passage where Jesus is interacting with 10 men with leprosy. And I believe in this passage, what we're going to find is some reasons or ways to refuel our passion and praise and worship. So Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, it says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. 
And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I have four things that I see in this passage that I think can refuel our passion in praise and in worship. Back in verse 12, it says, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy. The 10 men had leprosy. And in in the Bible, this, this label of leprosy isn't just specifically leprosy. It oftentimes would be used as kind of an umbrella label for any kind of skin condition. The challenge of these skin conditions was that they were contagious oftentimes. And so lepers, there were laws that required the lepers to be outside of the community. They were essentially shunned from the community because of the the risk. So they would live outside of town, outside of the camp, on their own in their own little group. And it said that they stood at a distance from Jesus. They are following the law. They are supposed to stand at a distance to Jesus. It might've been about 50 yards or more even. And I would say they praised him. They said, Jesus, master, have pity on us. They believed he could do something about their situation. I believe they praised him. But I I think this shows us the first step to renewing the passion that we have in praise and worship. The first one is to remember your condition. Remember your condition. The lepers had a skin condition. We don't have a skin condition, but we have a sin condition. And that skin condition does the same thing that our sin condition does. It separates us from God. It separates us. It creates a distance. In the Old Testament, it was believed that that if I came near the presence of God, his holiness would consume me as unholy humanity. That I would literally die if I came into the presence of God. Psalm 51, the psalmist writes, surely I was sinful from birth. We're born into it. Thank you, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. We're born into it. And then you may have probably heard this verse, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.1 says that we were dead in our sin and transgressions. Transgressions. We were dead in our sin. And then it says in Romans 5.8, but... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And maybe you have received that that grace by faith. Maybe you have placed your faith, your trust in Jesus, and you have been saved from your sin. And, And for many of you, you have a story that's amazing. God saved you from addiction and from from all kinds of different things. And for others of you, you maybe came to faith as a kid, maybe around third grade, that was me. And you don't really feel like there was much that you could have gotten into by third grade. And so you feel like your story is maybe a little bit boring. That's a lie. You were dead. And now you're alive. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that only God can do through Jesus Christ. Your story is an amazing miracle of going from death to life. But do you remember? Do you remember your condition? Do you remember what you were saved from and saved for? Do you remember what Jesus has done for you? 
And even if you have been following Jesus for a long time, you know you still need him, right? Just in this room and watching online, I know there are situations that you are facing right now that you cannot face on your own. You cannot handle on your own. Will you in your desperation see that you still have a need for him? And will you turn that desperation into praise, into worship? Look at the Psalms. David does this great. He, he will, God, I am just desperate for you. And yet I'm gonna praise you because I know you're the only one who can get me out of this mess. Will you praise him? The lepers believed that he could do something, that Jesus could do something and he still can. So the first step to renewing that passion in our praise and worship is to remember your condition. The second one that I see in this passage is respond in obedience. Respond in obedience. Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priests. I find this to be a really strange request that Jesus makes. The lepers have probably heard other healing stories. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't have believed Jesus could do something. And I can't imagine that this was what they expected the process to be. Go show yourselves to the priests. The priests are the ones who would have diagnosed them with leprosy in the first place. They were like the doctors of the day. And yet to their credit, all 10 of the men went to see the priests. And it says that as they went, they were cleansed. I will tell you, obedience, responding in obedience, it's a lot easier to stand up here and be really energetic and passionate in singing than it is to actually go out these doors and live in obedience to what God has called us, to live in obedience and live the way that he has called us. Do you remember what he has called you to do? Do you remember how he's called you to live? I, I will tell you as a worship pastor, the most overlooked form of worship in the church today is obedience. Obedience is worship. Not worship based on fear of consequences. We're not, we're not obeying God because we are afraid that a lightning bolt's gonna come out of the sky and strike me as I'm doing something. No, we're, we're obeying because we trust him, we love him, and we're going to express that love in following him. Jesus in John 14 cuts right to the point. He says this, if you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Pretty clear. <laughs> Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I say. Our family has been a two-dog family for the last decade. We lived in Texas for a while. And in Texas, I have joked often that it is an unwritten law that you must have as many dogs as you have children. And so we have two and we have our 10 year old yellow lab, great Pyrenees mix brewer right there with Colton. He is the bestest boy, that dog. And then we had a, a 17 year old beagle mix uh, who passed away in May. Oh, there she is. No, that's not the one who passed away. In the fall, we thought, well, we still need to be a two dog family. So we went and got Bryn, a little seven month old now beagle. And she is cute, isn't she? But I'll tell you, it's a good thing she's cute because she's a disaster. <laughs> that girl is a hot mess. If, like, for example, she goes outside. Outside is the worst. Those giant ears apparently are deaf. Because outside, she will not come. She will not do what she is supposed to do. She is going to go outside and do exactly what she wants to do when she wants to do it. And she will come in when she feels like it. Thank you very much. 
And we're really not that different, are we? We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. We want to have our way. We want to be able to do the things that we want to do. And I think oftentimes, if we'll go to the next slide, people will pay attention to what I'm saying. If, <laughs> I think sometimes there's a deeper issue. There's a deeper issue with obedience. And I think sometimes it's a trust issue. Because we believe that maybe God is holding out on me. That if I don't do the things I want to do, that God doesn't have my best in mind. And so I need to do what I want to do so I can do what I want to do. Worship is a matter of faith. And it's going to challenge you to believe, is God who he says he is? And does he have your best in mind? If you want to renew your passion in praise and worship, remember your condition. Respond in obedience. And the third thing I see in this passage is remain in awe. Remain in awe. Do you remember? Do you remember what he's done in your life? Are you in awe of that? In verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Sometimes I think what we have isn't necessarily a remembering problem, but it's an awe problem. We're in awe of all the wrong things sometimes. I have been blessed by God to live in the flattest parts of the world for my entire life. And one of my great joys and yet terrors is driving west of Denver on I-70. You've driven out there, right? Do you remember the first time you drove out there and you thought you were going to die? Or, or the last time I drove out there, I thought I was going to die, but mostly because of Colorado drivers. Uh, but you're driving and you're in the mountains and it's just amazing. I'm in awe. I, I can sit and stare at a mountain for hours. But I have been told that if you live in the mountains, eventually, I don't understand, but eventually they fade into the background and you actually get irritated by the mountains because they make travel longer. That blows my mind. I cannot understand how you would get tired of looking at the mountains, but they do. I have power lines in my backyard. I'll tra trade with you. But they get tired of looking in the mountains because the awe just sort of over time wears off. Do you remember what he has done in your life? Do you remember how much Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that you were dead and now you're alive? Do you remember? And will you stay in awe of him? Because if you will be in awe of who God is, what he has done, you can't help but praise. It's just going to come out. It's like this, this one leper who comes back and he's been healed and he comes back and he's praising in a loud voice. Why a loud voice? Growing up in the churches I grew up in, it would have been, why didn't you come back and whisper, thank you, Jesus, very politely? Why is he loud in his praise? I think he's loud because our praise and our worship is a witness. It's not just between me and Jesus. Our praise and our worship is a witness to all of heaven, all of hell, and all the earth around us where our allegiance lies. It's a witness. One of my brothers, when he and his wife were looking for a wedding venue, they visited several different churches. And, and one that I knew they were going to, I knew it was going to be a really interesting experience. And after they, they visited, we had lunch together and they were talking about it. And, and he said, yeah, it's probably not the kind of church that we would really feel like we fit very well. But he said this one thing, and I have not forgotten this. He said, but when they were singing, I knew they believed what they were singing. 
Their worship was a witness. Their praise was a witness to where their allegiance lies. Do you remember what he has done? And will you respond and remain in awe? And the fourth thing I see in this passage is rest in his presence. You want to renew your passion in praise and in worship? Rest in his presence. Verse 16 says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, the least likely. But he comes and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. You remember that that Greek word for, for worship in the New Testament, proskuneo, was to bow down and adore. He came near. And when you bow down, you get even nearer because you can't help it because as you move forward, you are making yourself lower so that what you are bowing before is greater and greater and greater. The least likely comes and he bows down. In verse 12, he is standing at a distance, but now because of what Jesus has done in his life, he can come near. And friends, because of what Jesus has done in your life, you can draw near to God. In James, verse, uh, James 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is a miracle in and of itself, church. That is a miracle. Again, remember in the Old Testament, if I as an unholy human come near to God, I will die. But God says, come near to me. He goes even further. In Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, come boldly. Come boldly into the presence of God. When we gather together, when we praise God together, it is an opportunity for us to rest in the very presence of God. If we will choose to praise him, if we will choose to return, if we will choose to remember, we can rest in the very presence of God. That's amazing. But he comes back, he bows. In Exodus 33, we find Moses leading the Israelites, the people of God. They've been slaves in Egypt and God has given them this promised land, this land of promise. And so Moses is leading them out of Egypt into this land and God is getting frustrated with with the Israelites. And God goes to Moses and says, okay, Moses, here's the deal. Here's how this is gonna work. You You can go into the promised land, but I'm staying back. You can go on into the promised land, but my presence will not go with you. I'm done with these people that are driving me crazy. And Moses says in Exodus 33, verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else distinguishes What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? For the Israelites, it was the presence of God that distinguished them from all the other peoples of the earth. And I will tell you today, it is the presence of God that distinguishes the people of God from all other peoples on the earth. It's the presence of God. And what do I mean by the presence of God? We can throw that around and it kind of sounds a little bit mystical, like, oh, I feel the presence of God. You You might feel the presence of God. But when I say the presence of God, this is all I'm meaning. That God is here, he is with us, and he desires to reveal himself to us. 
God is with us and he desires to reveal himself to us. As you look in scripture, you'll find the, the omnipresence of God, that, that God is everywhere, is capable of being everywhere at all times. You also find the abiding presence of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit living in you, the abiding presence of God. And then you have the manifest presence of God, the made known presence of God when God shows up and it is unmistakable that God is near. And time and time again, as you look throughout scripture, when God manifests his presence, when God makes his presence known, it is either in or for the benefit of the gathered community. Sure, we can look at, at, at Mary, we can look at Abraham, we can look at David, we can look at all these people who had an interaction with God, but every interaction they had with God was eventually for the greater community, the people of God. So when we gather together, we gather and there is divine potential for a move of God every time we're gathered together. If we will seek him, he will move. He will show up in ways that we cannot begin to ask or imagine. See, my goal for us is not that we would gather together and we would sing rah, rah, pep rally for Jesus. That is not my goal. My goal is that each and every person as we gather together would have an encounter with the living God. And that encounter would change us because in his presence, we are known. We know him and he knows us. It's in his presence that we are formed. We are formed to be more and more like him. And it's in his presence that we are called out into mission as the people of God in the world. It's in his presence. And maybe for you, you don't have that relationship with him right now. You do feel like there's a distance between you and God. You realize that you've never placed your faith, your trust in Jesus. He is not the Lord and savior of your life right now. We've been saying a prayer throughout this year together, a prayer of placing our faith, our trust in him. And I'm gonna invite you to say that prayer here in just a moment. For the first time, you can have that relationship. You can begin that relationship with Jesus. For others of us, we have said this specific prayer now for several weeks. And I can tell you as time goes on, the enthusiasm with which we say these words begins to deteriorate. And I found myself, I think it was just last week, feeling convicted. Do you remember? Do you remember that you were dead and now you're alive? Do you remember that, that he has called you his child? You have been in, adopted into his family. So as we say these words together, because we're all gonna say them together, I want you to really allow them to travel from up in our head to our heart. Let's say these in awe of the one who gave himself for us. So if we pull up that prayer, I'll say the first line you can repeat after me. Let's say this together. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. That he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. 
If you said that prayer for the first time, you are now a part of the family of God, that that distance is no more, that you can draw near to him. But I'll tell you, many people have said a prayer similar to that over the years. And then sort of just, they got what they wanted and moved on. Kind of like the nine. Only one returns. Only one of the lepers returned to give praise, to give worship to Jesus. Only one said, thank you. And I think we want to vilify these nine. We want to say, oh, they were horrible people. I mean, Jesus kind of insinuates that some of them would have been Jews instead of Samaritans. Jews, God's people. And they didn't even come back and say thank you. But I wonder if some of them, they had good intentions, but I mean, they were healed. They wanted to go see their family. They were, they were healed. They wanted to, to, to do this. They were healed. They needed to find a place to stay now. And just kind of the busyness of life just kind of squeezed it out. Ingratitude didn't keep them from being healed, but it did keep them from a relationship with him. Perish this thought, but if God never did another thing in your life, would you have enough to go on to still praise him, to still worship him? Would you remember your condition Would you respond in obedience, motivated by love? Would you remain in awe and would you rest in his presence? There are going to be times you're going to feel like the only one. There are going to be times you feel like the only person in your life who is praising God, who's worshiping him. But he is worthy, friends. He is worthy. There are going to be times when you feel like you are a lunatic for praising God. I will tell you more often than not, when I'm standing up here, right around in here, I'm going, you are the goofiest of goofballs. But I've made a commitment to myself that I never want to step up here and sing words that I do not believe. And if my face ever gives away the idea that I do not believe what I'm singing, how dare I? because he is worthy. I want to leave you with this. It's a quote from a pastor that that I've heard him say multiple times. He said, the cross demonstrates to heaven, hell, and all the earth how much Christ loves the church. Our worship demonstrates to heaven, to hell, and all the earth how much the church loves Christ. Do we love him? We will express that love because that's the way love works. Holy Father, loving God. God, forgive us for those times when we, when we forget. God, you know we're forgetful people. <laughs> Thank you, God, for the grace that you show us, that we're a forgetful people. We forget how amazing it is that you have done what you have done for us, that by the cross, through the resurrection, that we can come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ as revealed by the Holy Spirit. God, thank you. God, we love you. May we worship you in spirit and in truth with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen.